Hope you guys are all doing well, and uh, hope a number of you are joining in with us here from your homes, and um, we're going to be just having uh, a good time together here in God's Word, and it's just interesting, some of the things we're going to be looking at, I think, have some great application. I've titled this message today, How Are You Responding? And I know uh, many of you are, are probably asking right now, well, respond to what? Well, there can be a number of things that we can apply this to, especially this time that we're finding ourselves in these days that we're in, how do we respond? But we're going to see in First Peter in chapter 3, where we pick it up in verse 8, we're going to see what Peter's going to be saying and how we can apply this whole idea of how do we respond and look at what Peter's saying, how we can apply that to today and in the day that we're living in. We're going to be looking at three things primarily here, responding with compassion, responding with peace, and responding with hope. So look at verse 8 with me here. And here's what it says. It says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted and be courteous. I like that. See, Peter's been going through different classes or or groups of people, hasn't he? He's instructed slaves to submit to masters or employees to employers. He's instructed wives, right? Last week, wives, how they are to submit to their husbands and there was something about husbands, I can't remember exactly what, but there was something there for them as well. Uh, one verse, of course. But So we've been seeing all these different groups of people that Peter is looking to instruct in and, and how we need to come alongside one another. And so if you've been going through this series with us and you've been looking at these things and maybe you're sitting here, you don't have a boss or you're not married and you're feeling pretty good about yourself thinking, oh, that's great, man. There's no areas for me to have to submit to. I don't have a job. I don't have a a husband or a wife. You might be feeling pretty good about yourself, but look at what Peter does now is he brings this now home to everybody. He turns his attention to all of you. That's what he says. Verse eight, finally, all of you, every single person. If you're breathing today, Peter's got a word for you. We've got a word for you here. And he says that you need to be of one mind. Now, that's certainly an important thing to do in in marriage as we just came out of that context of marriage. But it also has application and relevance for how we live now among one another. Now, what does it mean to be of one mind? We may think it means to find, you know, the right mind. That's the mind we got to follow. Everyone be connected to that mind. Now that's not too far off. Actually, the problem is I tend to think that my mind is the right mind that you all need to follow. That my mind's the right mind and let's go with that. And I'm sure many of you would agree, right? Not that my mind's the right mind, but that your mind is indeed the right mind that we all need to get along and get behind. But it's not about who's got the best idea or the best mind. It's about having the mind of Christ. This is what Peter is looking to here right now. See, when we have the mind of Christ, then we can begin to act with one mind. In fact, that's what Paul writes in Philippians 2, and I think we shared this last week, but it's a good reminder for us today. It says there in Philippians 2, verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of even the death of the cross. So that's the mind of Christ right there. And when we're conducting ourselves in this manner, 
then we're not going to be fighting over our own wants, our own ways, over saying, no, you need to follow my thinking, my reasoning, my logic. You need to get behind me. We're going to say, let me come and submit. Let me come and, and walk in humility because that's the way of Jesus. And we're to have that mind of Christ. And then Peter says also there, verse 8, that we're to have compassion for one another. Now that's that Greek word, sympathize, and it means just that, to have sympathy or care and concern for one another. So Peter's asking us to say, listen, you're to be of the same mind, but that mind is to look this way. It's to look at one another with compassion, with grace, with gentleness, with, with love. And that's what we're told to do next. He says, we're to love as brothers. Now, that could be a dangerous thing if you've ever grown up with a brother. Love as brothers. You might be thinking, I don't know if that's going to go so well, right? That whole thing of compassion is going to get thrown right out the window if we love as brothers. But what Peter's implying here is a brotherly love. See, the New Testament oftentimes uses that word agape, you know, it's an unconditional love. But here he uses that Greek word philadelphos, which speaks of this brotherly or familial kind of love. In other words, the way that we respond to each other and relate to each other is to be done on a different level than we do with the world because we're family. And you know what they say? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. In other words, you guys are stuck together, right? We're stuck with one another, so we got to make the most of it. And we got to make sure that we are loving one another with the same mind. And that is the mind of Christ that shows compassion one with another. So learn to live this way because you're going to be doing so for all of eternity. So get used to it now, my friends. See, the way that you treat one another as believers shouldn't be any worse than how you treat others in the world. And you should be treating others in the world very well with great love. And so much more than Peter's basically saying, if you're going to love others like that, you certainly should be doing that at home with your family, with brothers and sisters in the Lord. This shouldn't be an issue. This shouldn't be a problem. If we can't love one another this way, then how are we going to love others in the world that way? Now remember, love is a commandment. It's not a feeling or an uncontrollable emotion. It's love that causes us to come together in unity, even over things that we may agree on, or not agree on, I should say, so that we can then walk with one purpose, with one heart, one goal, and that we may be of one mind. There's an unknown author that said this, Providence does not ask us whom we would like to be our brethren. That is settled for us, but we're bidden to love them, irrespective of our natural predilections and tastes. You say, that is impossible. But remember that true love does not necessarily originate in the emotions, but in the will. It consists not in feeling, but in doing, not in sentiment, but in action, not in soft words, but in noble and unselfish deeds. So since we're the same family and we're to be driven by love, then the way we look to one another should be very different. We shouldn't be responding to one another with, or we should be responding to one another with this great care and compassion. Look at what, what 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 25 to 26 says, regarding the church, the family of God, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And then in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
So there, there should be a, a different level of the way that we, we care and respond to one another when we are linked to Christ and when we have that mind of Christ. And, and, and what an opportunity that is now in these days that we find ourselves in. Because these are verses we've read before and oftentimes we're probably thinking that everyone is doing fine, but we're entering into some, I'm already there, in some very desperate times. And it's these times that the church needs to rise up and be there for one another and be there for those even outside the church as well. Don't look at what's going on in fret and fear. Look at this now as great opportunities. We have to be the church and reflect the love of Jesus and the power of God in our world. See, the world might be freaking out, but let them see in you someone that is, is, is faithing out, <laughs> not freaking out. That's the word I just made up here. But let us, let the world see us as being those that are responding in faith to who God is and what God is able to do. Let others see in you someone that is full of faith, full of love, where you're not in distress, but you're at rest. Because you know who's holding this all together and who is ultimately holding you. That's the faith that we're to have. And that's what we want to be showing to the world around us in these times. See, this is your opportunity, church, to do what you were created for. So pray for love to conquer all. Because perfect love casts out fear. According to 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Oh, let us be growing in love. And let that love come in and, and cast out all fear and worry. And next, Peter says to be tenderhearted. Yeah, we're still in verse eight. Don't worry, we'll get through this here. But he says to be tenderhearted. Have a heart that is sensitive now to those around you and to the things they're going through. That means if your brother or sister is having a hard time with what's going on and, and they think that they're, they contracted the coronavirus every other day, you don't come up to them and say, what's the matter with you? Would you just pull it together? Already? Don't be so paranoid. I actually just came from the hospital visiting those that were sick with it and everybody's doing fine. Come and give me a big hug. That's not tenderhearted, right? That's not showing care or compassion for that person. That's not very tenderhearted. It says next to be courteous. Now that's the idea of putting others before yourself. Courtesy causes you to serve others before you serve yourself. That's what courtesy does. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You see, being courteous means that when you go back or you go to the back of Costco and there's only one, you know, thing of toilet paper and there's two of you running for that thing, courtesy says, man, I'm going to yield. I'm going to let this person here next to me have that toilet paper. Think about what kind of message that's going to send to them. Think about them seeing that love of Jesus there. Now, you might need to tell them, you know, give me your address because I might need to show up at your place if I have an emergency. But anyways, this is these times now, oftentimes where these attributes go out the window, right? Now, is there a time that these attributes can go out the window? Well, look at what Peter says next. Look at verse nine. He says there, not returning, not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. See, here's what Peter's saying. Others may not treat you this way, that way we just saw described in verse eight. 
Others and the world might not treat you that way. You may not receive compassion or courtesy or love from others, but that's no excuse for you to respond the same way. In fact, Peter says we're to respond with blessing. And the idea here is that we are to be a blessing in all things, to be a blessing. That means when you're getting dumped on, you're not looking at how to make their life more miserable. You're looking at how to make their life better. In other words, you're seeking to bless them and to be a blessing. That's pretty radical, isn't it? Because the world doesn't operate that way. I mean, just cut somebody off on the highway and, and typically you're going to see a lot of evil being sent at you and not blessing in return, right? And trust me, I have really tried to test this theory often and uh, I don't oftentimes see any blessing coming my way here. But here's the thing, and I want you to catch this. Look at what, what Peter says in verse nine. Knowing that you were, what? Called to this. You, as believers in Jesus, are called to this very kind of action. Living this way is what you've been created to do. You're to be a blessing. Not only have we received the greatest blessing in having our sins forgiven, that we've been made new, and we're going to inherit a blessing through the promise of eternal life. That's how great it is for the believer today. We've been given so much and the best is still yet to come. We've received a blessing. And so Peter's saying how we need to pass that on to others. See, when we've been shown such blessing, it should be the natural flow of our lives. Jesus didn't save you just so you could go about business as normal. He saved you so that you could be different and so that you could reflect the blessing that you've received in Jesus. That's why Peter's been revealing to us that We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, right? That we're a chosen generation. It's because you're to be different. You're to be different than what we're seeing elsewhere in the world. And you can't get get much more different than repaying evil with blessing. That's something that's very strange. That's as odd as you can get. And Peter quotes now from Psalm 34, verse 12 to 16 in the next couple of verses, to confirm for us that God has always operated this way. His blessing rests on those that choose blessing over evil. Look at verse... But love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So here's the question, my friends. Do you love life? Do you desire or enjoy having good days? That's what Peter's saying here. I'm hoping all of you are answering with a big yes while sitting there at home in your pajamas, sipping on your morning smoothie, which is probably actually a milkshake because at this point you're just going, what is the point, right? So, but here's what Peter's saying. And he's using this Old Testament Psalm now to back up what he's trying to say. And it's this, if you love life, then stop poisoning it now by the things that you say, by the things you do. And we're going to focus right now on the things that you say. I love that. I mean, that's what, what Peter, let him refrain his tongue there in verse 10, right? Refrain his tongue from evil. If you love life and, and want to see good days, stop speaking things that are hurtful or harmful, right? And I love that song by, by Toby Mac, Speak Life, right? I'm sure many of you have heard. It says this, it's crazy to imagine Words from our lips as the arms of compassion. Mountains crumble with every syllable. Hope can live or die. So speak life. Speak life to the deadest, darkest night. Speak life 
speak life when the sun won't shine and you don't know why. Look into the eyes of the brokenhearted. Watch them come alive as soon as you speak hope. You speak love. You speak. You speak life. Come on, everybody, sing with me at home, right? Nobody's watching. You speak life. Who knows it, right? See, my, my wife is on me every, every Sunday, like, oh, you know, there's a song that would have fit really good with what you're trying to say. She's like a song encyclopedia. And so this is for you, honey, all right? I hope this is, is hitting the mark right now. But he goes on to say, he goes on to say, lift your head a little higher, spread the love like fire, hope will fall like rain when you speak life with the words you say. Raise your thoughts a little higher, use your words to inspire. Joy will fall like rain when you speak life with the things you say. Man, that's so true, isn't it? Because our words have power not only to build up and bless those around us, but to feed our own soul and strengthen us. It's like that Eeyore or Tigger effect, right? You got some people that are just walking around like Eeyore. Everything coming out of their lips is just negative. It's pessimistic. Uh, they're just walking around, just mopey. Uh. There's no life. Why? Because they're so, everything they look at is just negative. And you got Tigger who's just bouncing around, you know. His house could be burned down or whatever he lives in. And he's just jumping around. Woohoo! Woohoo! He's just jumping around, excited. And you see, when we're speaking words that have life, that are not returning evil for evil, that are building others up, seeking to be a blessing around us, then not only is it going to feed and encourage others, but it's going to do a work in our own lives. Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, author of Words That Hurt, Words That Heal, often lectures on the impact of words. And he asked audiences if they can go 24 hours without saying uh, any unkind words about another person or to another person. Invariably, a small number of listeners raised their hands, signifying yes. Others laugh, and quite a large number call out, no way. Telushkin says, those of you who can't answer yes must recognize that you have a serious problem. If you cannot go 24 hours without drinking liquor... You're addicted to alcohol. If you cannot go 24 hours without smoking, you are addicted to nicotine. Similarly, if you cannot go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you've lost control over your tongue. How do we fare in that? Are we quick to speak words that have no life in it? Or are we more inclined to say, how can this be helpful? A simple thing to do, think before you talk. And use that word think as an acrostic. Is it true? Is it helpful? Does it inspire or encourage? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Man, if we evaluated everything that we're going to speak into people's lives through that, it's going to eliminate a lot of what we would probably want to say. But it's going to also then return a blessing and be beneficial to those around us. Remember now, Peter is speaking to a group of believers that were going through hard times. They were being threatened, falsely accused. Their lives were at stake. It was fearful times. I mean, they didn't have a rogue virus pandemic that we're aware of, but they were being burned at the stake. So, I mean, just kind of evaluate that there for you, okay? I mean, they were going through tough times. But here's what Peter says. Don't worry about these things that might come against you because when you're in Christ and you're following him, these things got nothing on you. This is what Peter's saying. Now, Peter's referencing the things that people might do, but we can certainly apply that to today and consider this exhortation in light of what we're experiencing. And he goes on to say, verse 13, and who is he who will harm you 
if you become followers of what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Do you see that? Don't be afraid of their threats. Whether that's people seeking to hurt your reputation, hurt you emotionally, or hurt you physically, or whether it's COVID-19 seeking to alter the way that you live. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Are you troubled today? That's not how Jesus said we were to conduct ourselves. He says in John 14, 27, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why? Why can we apply this? Why can we live with a peace and not having our heart afraid? Why? Because Jesus is alive and he's in control and he's preparing a place for you right now. So even if you go through a time of suffering right now, you're blessed. Uh, I know you may not feel blessed, but, but here's what that suffering is doing ultimately. First of all, it's causing you to long for heaven. That's, that's what suffering does oftentimes. It's a reminder that this world is not our home, that it's all temporary. We have something more we're living for. What did Peter oftentimes remind his readers? That you're pilgrims and you're sojourners. This is not your home. You're to be longing for something better. Your eternal home. So suffering causes us to long for heaven. Secondly, suffering is meant to draw you closer to God. It's a reminder that we need him. When we suffer, we realize we're not invincible, but God is. So it causes us to find refuge and strengthen him. The only place that we're ultimately going to find any kind of security or safety. And we should be doing that daily, if not hourly. It's, it's by the minute for me. I need the Lord every minute of my life because I'm lost without him. I'm weak without him. I don't know how to handle the things going on around me without him. But when suffering comes, when, when trying times come, it reminds me that I can't handle these things. I need the Lord. And, and I hope I'm never far from the Lord where it's suddenly a realization. I go, oh my goodness, I need to get back to you, God. I hope I'm right there where I'm saying, Oh, when the threats come, when trials, tribulations, when suffering comes, Lord, I'm in you. This doesn't have to knock me out like it might others because I've got you. So it reminds us to draw close to God. Lastly, number three, not only does it cause you long for heaven, not only is it meant to draw you closer to God, but thirdly, suffering may just be the instrument to take you into the presence of the Lord, like literally by death. This is where it gets real encouraging for us all here today. Now that might sound worrisome, but aren't we to be living for him and and his glory? Isn't our ultimate desire to be with him? So suffering does that as we lean on him, but it may also do that literally by just taking us out. But whatever someone might try to do against you, whatever disease or sickness may ravage you, however you might be taken out, you're only going to be brought in to the presence of the Lord forever and ever, which is what our great hope is. In other words, it's a win-win for us. And when Peter says, when you suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. That's that word happy, right? Happy are you. See, we shouldn't be walking around as, as Christians with worry and fear. We should be happy regardless. Remember what Peter said earlier on in 1 Peter 1, 6 to 9, he said this, in this you greatly rejoice, 
though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Boy, when we studied through that a number of weeks ago, we didn't foresee all this coming up to us in the world with, with COVID-19. I mean, we probably would have looked at that very differently. At that time, we're looking at this going, oh yeah, definitely. Oh great, let the trials come. No problem, we got that great hope in the Lord. And now the trials come. Are we still able to live this out? And say, I can still have joy, inexpressible and full of glory as I look to the Lord. We can because we're saved. So whatever this world can throw at us, it, it only takes us one step closer to the world to come. It's that kingdom, as, as Hebrews 12 verse 20 says, it's that kingdom that cannot be shaken. Oh, the world is shaking right now. But one day we're going to inherit the kingdom that cannot be shaken. So here's what we're to do right now. Look at verse 15 with me. Peter says this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So Peter says we're to set apart the Lord in our lives. That's what that word sanctify means. It means to set apart. It's not set him apart from everything else. Like what we oftentimes do in compartmentalizing Jesus. We say, okay, Jesus, here's your area, but I got all this other stuff too that I'm kind of trying to deal with and work with. And my, you know, we're not setting him apart from everything else. We're setting him apart. What that means to sanctify the Lord, it means that we give him preeminence in our lives. We set him in the highest place. We see him as Lord over all. He's the one that we're living for above everything else. Now, Here's this idea here. He says, not only sanctify the Lord in your hearts, but always be ready. Ready for what? Well, ready to give an answer for the strangeness people see on you. That's what we talked about, how we're to be different in the world. When they see you not acting in despair or fear, and they look at you and they go, what's going on? Are you ready to give an answer, a defense for the kind of hope that you have in these trying times. That word for defense is the Greek word apologia. I know I'm saying that wrong, but it's pronounced a really interesting way. Apologia. And it's where we get our word apologetics, which means to give a reasoned argument. See, Peter's already addressed the living hope, right? That we have because of what Jesus has done for us. First Peter 1 verse 3, he started right out of the gates with this in his epistle. That blessed living hope that we have. And this is the hope that carries us through hard times. And it's a hope that should be evident in how we live. So much so that people will see you living differently and want to know what's making you tick. Are you going to be ready to tell them? Are you going to be able to give a response to them of why that's happening that way? Are you going to struggle to speak clearly and accurately? Will you give them a pat answer like, well, I guess I've just always been a bit of an optimistic person. And so I guess I just kind of have that good outlook on life. Do you just give that pat answer? Are you ready to say, oh man, it's only because of Jesus Christ. And he's given me a living hope. He's saved me of my sin. He's made me new. He's given me new life. And not just life now, but life eternally. 
So I know whatever goes on in this world, it's not the end for me. I have a living hope and and an inheritance that's been reserved for me. Man, I have better life awaiting me. So I can make it through this. I know God is with me. People need to hear the reason that you have hope in troubling times. It's because of all that Jesus has done for you. He died on a cross. He rose again to forgive you your sin. To make you new. To give you life. That's not fairy tale lore here. This is exactly what Jesus has said to us. He says in John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Man, that's all that's kind of on people's minds right now. Disease, virus, death. But for the believer who has that hope in Jesus, we've already passed from death into life. These things shouldn't, shouldn't put a dent in us. Shouldn't discourage us. These, these may be trying times that we're in, but they're an opportunity for us to give people an alternative, right? To let them see we don't need to be filled with doom and gloom. We don't need to be led by fear. In these dark days is when the light shines the brightest. So go and shine your light. Let people see the hope that we have. And may that spur them on to want it for themselves. Man, I'll tell you, I'm excited for these times that we're in right now. I, I, I think about what's going on right now. I mean, not... Not the whole people getting sick and dying thing. That's, that's not good. That's tragic. But this coronavirus has changed everything. And it's caused a lot of people to reevaluate what's truly important. And that's where we get to come in and speak in our lives because suddenly now hardened hearts are being opened with what's going on. Suddenly people are starting to go, man, I better, I better call out to God it's been a long time and maybe I better get things right in my life and and think about what's going on today where we've got churches now where church doors are being closed but the church is being expressed in new ways in greater ways as churches have been you know jumping on the live streams finding whatever way they can to get the message out so in other words I think today the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ is going out in greater ways than it ever has before because of a virus. That's incredible to me. I look at what's going on. I say, Lord, man, this might be difficult what's going on, but you're using it. Just like we sang in that song, See Victory. What the enemy meant for evil, you've used for good, God. You're using for good. You're turning things around. And you're using it. And so I get excited when I see what's happening. And the opportunity we have now to share this living hope with people. I pray that you're doing so. And, and do these things. Notice it says, in meekness and in fear. Don't do this in fear of what might happen to you if you don't. Do this out of fear for what might happen to others if you don't share with them. Their eternity is at stake. And, and let, me just, let me just speak to those of you that might be tuning in here today that maybe you don't go to church typically. Maybe somebody's passed on this, this broadcast, this live stream feed to you and you haven't been in church maybe for a long time. And I want to encourage you. Jesus loves you. And, and despite what's going on around us, these are oftentimes a wake-up call for us to go, 
We need to get right with the Lord. See, Jesus loves you so much that he came to this world and he died on a cross to save you of your sin. To bring the forgiveness for you, to spare you from the judgment of God ultimately that's coming. And he did that so that you could be forgiven and brought into a right relationship with God. And it's not complicated. The only requirement is that you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That you admit your sin, as we've all had to do, because we're all sinners. You admit your sin, and you put your trust in Jesus, and you believe that he died, he rose again to give you life. And when you put your trust in Jesus, you become saved. Paul says that no man can come to the Father unless he's born again. And that's what happens right now. You become a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. All you need to do is look to Jesus and put your trust in him. And I encourage you to do so right now. Because these are hard times that we're in. And it starts to show our future is less in control. But here's one thing you can have in control. Is where you're going to go when you move on from this world. You got two choices. To be with God in heaven or to be in hell absent from God. And it's a free gift God's given you. It's by grace you're saved, not of your works, not of your good living. It's by his grace. You simply receive that free gift. Receive Jesus in your life today. Make him your own. And you'll be saved. And and you can walk in that peace and comfort today that we as believers have in these times. I want to encourage you. Look to Jesus today. Well, last verse here, verse 16 having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. This is like what, what Peter said in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and 12. If you've got your Bibles open, just look over um, a, a few verses back. Chapter 2, verse 11, where he said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, the world has built up a lot of negative views towards Christians and the church. Let's use this time now, church, to live in a way where suddenly it's the world thinking, I may have misjudged those Christians. In fact, somebody the other day gave me some extra rolls of toilet paper and that just blessed my heart. Let them see something different in you. Let's dispel any kind of false thinking they have of the church and let them see the church standing up saying, man, we want to bless others. Even when we see nothing but evil coming, we want to bless people. We want to encourage, we want to show that compassion and grace. Live differently. Respond to this crisis differently. You can because of the hope that lies within you. Are you ready to share it? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're just going to close our time here just with, uh, again, just some response and in worship and singing out to the Lord and thanking Him. But let me leave you with a few things to just consider as we look to apply this word here. First of all, is your response to these things that we see going on around us merely selfish? Or are these opportunities to consider others and respond in compassion to reach out to those around you? Secondly, have you been experiencing the peace of God in these difficult times? If not, what's hindering that? Because Jesus has said, I peace I, I give you. He's given it to us. Rest in him. Thirdly, are you ready to share with someone the hope that you have in Jesus? 
If someone were to question you, are you ready to give that answer? Man, I pray that you are. And I pray that you look at these times as opportunities to share the hope that lies within us because of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we just are so thankful for the opportunity we have to come and and seek you and hear from your word and and to do it through just such different means today. And I I trust and pray that many have been able to take part and tune in and just be encouraged here today. And, And Lord, we thank you indeed for the hope that lies within us, for the good news and, and this opportunity we live in right now to take that to people that might be ready to hear in ways that they haven't before. So Lord, may we look differently with a different perspective, with a hopeful perspective. God, seeking to be a blessing in this world and share the hope that we have because of you, Jesus. So we thank you. Lead us on, strengthen us, Lord. We pray just your hand to be upon every person, Lord. In this church, Lord, in those this meeting and gathering all around the world, we pray just for your hand to be upon us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, Lord, to provide for us. Would you sustain us and strengthen us in these times, Lord? And we pray again, God, that this virus would just begin to get under control and be stopped. And you just make people well that are sick right now. So Lord, we ask this in your awesome name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.